Amen. Well, thank you, Tyler. Good morning, City Light. Yeah, happy birthday. Four years old, that means that we're like out of diapers as a church now. You know, that's a big deal for us. Um, Every year around our birthday, we like to take a few weeks and look at our core values as a church. Like the things that deep down shape who we are as City Light Church. Uh, We do this because drifting is so easy. Like, you know what I'm talking about in life? Drifting is easy. I was reading about the Kodak company earlier this week. You guys remember Kodak? They used to make film for cameras when cameras used film. Some people remember this. Um, They were so much leaders in the film industry that back in the 80s, when I was growing up, a picture-perfect moment was called a Kodak moment. Some of you guys remember this. Well, they have uh, drifted so far from that original kind of leader of the of the film industry world days that now they still make some film but they also make advanced chemicals and pharmaceuticals. Do you guys know that? That's like a big drift. It happens to companies. It doesn't just happen to companies though. It happens to people like you and me too. You ever felt a drift? Like maybe you went to college and you picked a major and you wanted to learn. You went to college for those reasons, but when you got there, you kind of drifted into the party scene. Or maybe you entered a relationship thinking that you were uh, aiming for true love, but you kind of drifted into lust. Or maybe you got that job and you were excited to make a difference in the world or in your community or in somebody's life and you kind of drifted into just working for the weekends. You know what drifting is like? You ever felt that? Well, oftentimes it happens slowly, unintentionally, even maybe under the radar. And so here at City Light, we like to take some time each year to like put our core values on the radar. Just intentionally put them before us again so that we never drift far from them. So we're going to spend the next few weeks looking at our core values. We have lots of things that we value around here, like a good Qdoba burrito, a solid beard game, throwing shade at the Huskers. By the way, this fall is shaping up to be maybe their best in the last half decade. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, <laughs> So we value lots of things around here, but we have four things that we value the most. Four core values, four things that shape who we are. Here's how we talk about them. Down, up, in, and out. Okay, we're going to go super cheesy Sunday school. Would you guys say these with me? Okay, our four core values are down, up, in, and out. Man, I love the 80s. Good work, Sunday school crowd. Now that you got those four words in your mind, let me put some flesh on the bones. What do those things mean? Well, down for us is the gospel. It's the good news that God came down to us in the person and work of Jesus. It's the good news that God saved sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. It's the good news that we don't have to jump or climb or in any other way rise up to God because he came down to us. It's good news, amen? That's the gospel, the gospel is down. Next is up. Up is 
transformation. It's spiritual formation. It's what happens in us as we respond to the gospel. It's what happens in us when the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside us. God gives us a new relationship, a new motivation, a new power to change and become more and more like Jesus every day. Down is the gospel, up is our response to it. It's transformation. In is community. Now the Bible calls the church, God's followers, a body, a people, a flock, a family. All of these are pictures of togetherness and connectedness and mutual care. So while there are certainly aspects of your walk with Jesus that are unique and personal to you, the Bible says that our walk with Jesus was never meant to be done alone. The people of God live in community, and we call that in. Last, then, is out. Out is mission. It means the gospel doesn't just come to you, it moves through you. In fact, Jesus' uh, final words to his followers after he had risen from the grave, but before he ascended into heaven, his last instruction to his people was, go make disciples. He sent them out. He gave them a mission, and that mission has marked followers of Jesus ever since then. It still marks us today. We're a people who are sent to live on mission to make disciples for Jesus. We call that out. Okay, so here we go. Quick recap. Down, up, in, out. Gospel, formation, community, and mission. Those are our four core values. So with that foundation laid, we're going to dive into number one, the gospel, this morning. This is number one for us. A lot of people say, why don't you just say up, down, in, out? That makes more sense, right? Down is first for us. The gospel is first because everything else follows it. Everything else flows from it. The gospel is primary, first, central. It's like the kickoff, the tip off, the first pitch, the green flag, or whatever happens to start a soccer game. Like, I've never seen that. I imagine somebody pretends to fall down or something like that. I don't know what starts a soccer game. All I know is that the gospel is first, okay? It is primary and central. We call ourselves a gospel-centered church because the gospel is number one. And so, I'm trying to convey the idea that we cannot overstate the significance of the gospel in the life of a Christian or the life of the Christian church. Are you with me? We just can't get, we can't get far enough to explain the significance of the gospel in our lives. I think Paul tried when he wrote his letter to the Romans. This is how he began that letter. He wrote, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You sense the magnitude of what he's trying to say? The gospel is God's power for salvation for everyone, for anyone, for all people who would turn to Jesus and believe in the gospel. This is number one. It is no trivial matter, my friends. Your eternity and mine depends on this. And so I would invite you this morning to check in. 
lean in, let the gospel land on you, and let's spend this morning refocusing, recentering on the gospel. What is first and primary and central to the message of God for us. We never want to drift far from it. So let's begin uh, this gospel thing. I feel like I've begun three times. <laughs> let's begin for the third time by uh, uh, defining our terms. What is the gospel? What do we mean when we say that? Well, we uh, summarize it around here oftentimes like this. The gospel is the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. The good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. Now that's the summary, and we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning doing kind of a flyover through the book of Colossians to build out what that means. What does it mean for our lives right here, right now? Here are three things that I want to highlight this morning. One, the gospel is good news, not good advice. Two, the gospel is both truth and true story. It's both. And number three, the gospel is both the ABCs and the A to Z of the Christian life. Okay, those are our three highlights. That's where we're going. Let's start with number one. Seems like the right place to start. The gospel is good news, not good advice. Here's what Colossians says. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So faith, love, and hope, you see these things. How did they get those things? Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. So what's going on here in Colossians? Well, Colossians is simply people, Colossians were people who lived in a town called Colossae, okay? They're a people, just like Iowans live in Iowa. And so the Colossians, they had heard the gospel, the word of truth, and somehow that had spurred in them faith and love and hope. How did that happen? What, what was the gospel doing in them? How was it working? Well, in the original Greek, in the book of Colossians, the word gospel is the word evangelon. It's a noun that literally means good news or glad tidings. It's news that's so good, it's intended to be proclaimed, like announced, heralded for all to hear. So we might think about the angel that appeared in the night sky to the shepherds um, on the night that Jesus was born. This angel lit up the darkness of the night and spoke to the shepherds. He said, fear not, for I, uh, I bring you good news. That's our word. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So when he said, I bring you good news, those words good news are evangelon. It's the same word that was used in the book of Colossians. You see what's happening here? When that good news was announced in the, the Colossians, were spurred on to faith and love and hope. The shepherds heard, uh, got great joy. 
For all people, it was the same thing. They heard the good news that Jesus came to save. Now track with me here. What they heard, the shepherds in the field and the Colossians in the early church, was good news about Jesus, not good advice from Jesus. Are you tracking with me? They heard good news about Jesus, not good advice from Jesus. Now that might sound like a minor difference, but to those who heard it, it had a major impact. Good news and good advice are very different. Let me give you maybe an example. Imagine a young mom whose husband gets deployed to serve overseas. Maybe some of you have experienced this. It is a stressful, lonely, difficult season. And if you know that young mom, chances are there's something in your heart that wants to help her. And so you might try to give her some good advice. And good advice by nature is good, right? We're not against good advice. But you might say things like, stay strong. I know you can get through this. Like, keep busy. The time will pass faster. Be sure to make time for yourself. Do some self-care so that you don't wear out and burn out. When you get to talk to him on the phone or FaceTime, uh, talk about happy things and keep the love alive and, and make those good times. You might give good advice. And quite honestly, uh, she'd likely find those things helpful, even encouraging, feel like you were with her. But something good advice can never do is give relief or hope in those stressful times. Good advice by nature just gives somebody more things to do, right? Good news is very different. It spurs a very different response in the listener. Imagine if you got to give that young mom good news instead of good advice. How would her response change? Like, what if you got to tell her that her husband's deployment was cut short and he would be coming home early? That's good news, right? How would she respond I imagine there would be tears of joy, sighs of relief, like a growing hope of the sweet reunion that is soon to come. Good news would spur joy and hope and relief, something that the good advice could never give. Are you tracking with me? There is a difference between good news and good advice. Friends, when we look at what happens when the gospel was proclaimed in the Bible, we see a response to good news. The Colossians were spurred on to faith and love and hope. The shepherds got great joy. The gospel is good news. It is not merely good advice from Jesus, the life coach, the self-help expert, Mr. Fix-It or success guru. The gospel is good news, not good advice. Amen? Okay, so that's number one. It's good news, not good advice. Let's move on to number two. The gospel is both truth and true story. What I mean is it's a truth that we believe, facts that we reckon are true, and it's a true story that's being played out right now. We're living in it. The gospel is truth and true story. Let's see if we can see this in Colossians. Here's what the Bible says. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, so that 
that truth had been proclaimed and announced and they had heard it and believed it. It's a truth that we believe, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So that truth somehow had movement to it. It was coming to them, and it was bearing fruit and increasing. It was growing and unfolding and expanding. It's like a story was being told and and working out in their real lives. You see the difference? The gospel is both truth and true story. So let's look at each of those. The gospel is a truth that we believe I summarized it a little bit earlier. The Bible does the same thing. It has all kinds of little gospel summaries. Like, for instance, John 3, 16. Many of you have probably heard it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loved us in the world. He gave Jesus so that we wouldn't be uh, stuck in a state of eternal death, but we would get eternal life. That's the gospel summarized. Another one, 1 Timothy 1.15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. It's a saying that we can trust and accept, right? Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The gospel is a truth that we believe. If I get particular here, it's the truth about Jesus as revealed in God's word. So when we talk about believing in Jesus, we're not saying, do you have thoughts about Jesus? Like, have you like considered something and come up with your own version of the truth about Jesus? What we're saying is, when we talk about believing in Jesus, that there is a truth about him revealed in God's word, eternal from the beginning of time that will stand until the end of time. It is a truth, news, that has been heralded since Jesus' birth, and we can believe that. It's a truth that says that God stepped out of heaven, wrapped himself in flesh. Jesus was fully God and fully man, not like 50-50, half God, half man, like a mermaid, half woman, half fish, or a centaur, half man, half horse. It wasn't that kind of thing. Jesus is fully God and fully man. He's just as much God as the Father or the Holy Spirit. He's just as much human as you or me. He was born like us, ate like us, got dressed like us, experienced all the joys and pains and trials and temptations that we face. And that Jesus, fully God and fully man, came to save sinners. That's the gospel. That's the Bible reveals it. Do you believe that? I think uh, that truth It's kind of hard to fully understand, to like fully embrace, unless we also know that the gospel is a true story. Because the truth itself leaves us with questions like, why does it matter that Jesus was God and man? What does it mean that I am a sinner? What, how would I even change that? Jesus came to save me? Save me from what and to what? How does that work? It, It opens up questions. And those questions are answered, I think, most deeply in the true story of the gospel. 
And so, I want to walk you through it. It's a story in four acts, okay? Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Let me just give a quick overview. The true story of the gospel begins in the very beginning. We call it creation. It's when God spoke when there was nothing, and then as he spoke, things just happened. They were created. They came into existence, and it started with light and darkness and stars and planets and land and water and plants and animals and a man and a woman, and it was awesome. And at the kind of the apex of that creation, God created a garden, and he put the man and woman in the garden, and he walked with them there. And he talked with them there. It was like paradise. It was perfection. It was life the way God intended us to live it. I mean, picture this for a minute. If, if I were to ask you, what would a perfect world look like? How would you answer that? Dig a little deeper than the surface stuff like queso wouldn't clog your arteries anymore or moles wouldn't ruin your lawn. Like, what would a perfect world look like? I think a lot of us would answer in similar ways. Like, there would be no more sickness and death. There would be no wars among nations or tensions between peoples. And if God is real, we just see him face to face. And he could, we could hear his voice. We'd get to, like, walk with him. Friends, you know, that's exactly the way, the perfect world that we would long for, that's exactly the way God created things. It's exact, those longings are exactly the way God intended life to be. And so that's creation. He created it that way. Paradise. God walking with his people in peace, perfection, harmony. But it didn't stay that way for very long until that first man and that first woman messed things up. Okay, we call it the fall. They broke the one rule that they had. The one thing that God asked them not to do, they did. They ate the fruit from the forbidden tree. It was an act of selfishness, of pride, of rebellion. It was the first sin. And when it happened, paradise was broken. Because for the first time, that man and that woman, they felt new feelings. They felt shame for who they were and what they had done. They felt fear about what God might do to them because of it. And so they hid themselves from God. They separated themselves from him. And that's what sin does. It separates us from God. And God did respond. He responded with both justice and grace. In justice, God removed the people from the garden and he outlined the consequences, the results of a life of sin. He said there would be uh, pain in their bodies, tension in their relationships, struggle in their work, and ultimately death would reign in their world. It was a, it was a far fall. That's the result of sin. And if we're honest, that's the kind of world that we experience today, is it not? pain and struggle and death, sin. But God gave grace. He, he said that one day a woman would have a child and that son would crush the sin that was crushing his people. 
the, the fall, we fell far, we fell from grace, sin entered the world and all was broken, but God's plan for his people was not broken. He said he would send someone to crush the sin that was crushing them. It was a foreshadowing of the next part of the story. And so we see creation and fall, and next comes redemption. It's when God makes good on his promise. It's when Jesus enters into the world to redeem it. This is where the pieces start to come together. See, God created the world with the intent of walking and talking with his people. And when sin entered the world and broke that, his plan was not broken. He intended to accomplish his original purpose and plan. And so in redemption, we see God would do it. He would make good on his promise. When sin was crushing us with sickness and war and conflict and tension and death and separation from God, Jesus came and crushed that sin. How? What did that look like? Well, I want to dig back into the Colossians and see what it says In Colossians, we read, this is what redemption looks like, okay? Track with me here. And you who were dead in your trespasses, you who were dead, let that land because he's talking to us. The Bible says all have sinned. We all fall short. Nobody gets it right, so nobody is righteous. We are by nature trespassers who have gone where we ought not go. And because of that, we're separated from the very God whose breath gives us life. Do you see how that separation is itself a death sentence? We were dead in our sin, and so the Bible is talking to us when it says you who were dead. And that's bad news, but things get better because next comes God's redemptive purpose and power and plan. It's when he crushes the sin that was crushing us. We get to see a path from death to life in Jesus' redemptive work on the cross. What does that look like? Here we go. Colossians, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, that's us. We were dead. God made alive together with him. You who are dead, God made alive. Picture this for a minute. I want you to picture in your mind a dead person, like dead, expired, extinguished, kicked the bucket, bought the farm, pushing up daisies, dead as a doornail. You get the idea. This is dead, dead. That dead person made alive again. Is that not incredible? That's what the Bible is saying happens. A dead person is made alive again. That's the picture of baptism that we just saw, right? They go under the water, buried with Christ. They come up again, raised to new life. God is saying when we were dead, he made a way for us to be alive again. I can't be the only one excited about the gospel this morning. This is redemption. God made a way. How did Jesus redeem? How do we become alive again? Here it is. God uh, made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. We were made alive when God forgave us. How? 
Well, how did he forgive us? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. How does God forgive us? He canceled our debt. He erased our death sentence. He declared us forgiven and free. How did that happen? This he set aside. Our sin was taken off our plates and set aside. Our our crimes no longer on our record. Our debt charged to a different account. It was set aside off of us because they were placed on someone else. When in the story did that happen? Where do we see it? How did it play out? This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Friends, Jesus took your sin to the cross. Sin was the enemy that we could not defeat, the sickness we couldn't overcome, the bill we couldn't pay, the death sentence that we could not appeal. We were a lost cause, unable to rescue ourselves and dead in our sin until the powerful working of God in Jesus Christ on our behalf. Jesus went to battle against our enemy by putting our crimes on his record and our debts on his account. Put simply, our sins were on Jesus' shoulders as he hung on the cross. And when he died, they buried him in the grave and our sin was put in that grave too. Jesus killed our sin. He crushed the sin that was crushing us. That's baptism. Jesus did what we could not do. He hung on the cross, was buried in the grave, and he became alive again. Why does it matter that Jesus was God and man come to save us? Because Jesus, the creator of all things, the one who intended to walk with his people, stepped down into the brokenness of our world and made a way for us to live with him again. That is redemption. It is the debtor given riches, the rebel called forgiven, the sinner made a saint. It's the true story that is still playing out today. Creation, fall, redemption, and there's one more chapter, and it is just as good as the rest. It's called restoration. It's paradise restored. Jesus promised that every nation, language, tribe, and tongue would have the opportunity to hear this gospel good news and respond in belief. And once that has happened, he said he would return to end sin and all of its effects once and for all. And when that was done, he would restore paradise for God and his people once more. Remember that perfect world that we talked about at the beginning? God walking with his people, peace and harmony and love ruled the day. I sound like a hippie right now, right? It's what we all long for. It's restored. In Revelation 21, it's like a travel brochure for heaven. It like whets your appetite. It makes you long to be there. I want to read for you just a couple verses from Revelation 21. This is paradise restored. It says, behold. Stand in awe and see. 
Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. God will walk with his people once more. You will see him face to face and behold his glory and hear his voice as he speaks to you. You'll see it with your own eyes. Hear it with your own ears. And what's that, gonna, what's that experience going to be like in paradise with God? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Friends, what an incredible future. God will dwell with his people. And all of sins, crying and mourning and sickness and pain and death will be gone forever. Paradise restored. The gospel is truth that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And it is a true story that we are living in right now. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. So, there's the first two. Gospel is good news, not good advice. It's truth and true story. We got one more. We're just going to close with this. The gospel is both the ABCs and the A to Z of the Christian life. What I mean by that, it's the entryway, it's the gate, it's the door that you walk through, the first ABCs that you learn when you follow Jesus, and it's the path, it's the way that we walk as we follow him for all of our lives. So here's how Colossians says it. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. As you receive Jesus, so walk in him. That leads to the question, how did the Colossians receive Jesus? Well, they heard the gospel and believed it. And so how are they supposed to walk the Christian life? They hear the gospel and believe it. It doesn't change. That's what the Bible means when it says, as you received him, so walk in him. We never graduate from the gospel. It's the ABCs and the A to Z. So I'll just share with you what this has meant in my life. How has the gospel been the ABCs and the A to Z for me? Well, when I was six years old, I heard the ABCs of the gospel in a Sunday school room in the basement of Country Bible Church in Blair, Nebraska. My Sunday school teacher just walked me through, hey, uh, the gospel, the ABCs, admit you're a sinner, believe in the Savior, commit to follow him all your days. And I did that in that Sunday school room, and it changed my life then. And it changed my eternity beyond that. And I'm so grateful that my Sunday school walked me through that door. But what I've learned since then is that the gospel didn't just change me that day and for some future day. The gospel has an impact on my life in this day. Like these days, in between the A, B, C's, and the X, Y, Z's. Like for instance, uh, it impacts my marriage. So there are days I come home after a hard day at work, and I just want to kick back and relax and hit the couch. So on my way home, I'm dreaming of that, and then when I get home, I soon realize that my wife has also had a hard day with our four kids, and dinner needs made, and messes need cleaned up, and house projects need worked on, and if I'm honest, part of me in that moment wants to pretend I don't see any of that and hit the couch anyway. Okay? Guys, don't judge me right now, all right? You've been there. You know what that moment is like. 
You're just going to pretend you didn't see it hit the couch anyway. That is a real life moment between the ABCs of meeting Jesus and the XYZs of returning to paradise with him, isn't it? Those are the real life moments that the gospel still speaks into. Like the Bible says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What does that mean to me in that moment when I wanna ignore my wife and hit the couch anyway? It means, oh Jesus, you gave up your life so that I could have it. You pursued my good at your own expense. Jesus, if you did that for me, how could I not but do that? And so I had to pitch in on dinner. I help clean up those messes. I find the house project and get to work. You can ask my wife, I don't do it perfectly. (laughs) But the gospel tells me to. It encourages and empowers me to do that. The gospel has meaning in between A and Z. And it's not just in my marriage. You can think about it at work, in your finances, how you plan for the future, and your relationships, and your friendships, in the ways that you deal with the sin that kind of holds so closely to you, and the ways that you deal with religious guilt that you just need to let go of. It's all real life stuff, and the gospel matters even today. Friends, the gospel is the ABCs. It is the gateway to life with Jesus, and it is the A to Z. It matters today, in the middle, while we wait for paradise again with him. And so today, can I just encourage you, if you don't know Jesus, the gospel is good news for you today. Let me just announce it. You can believe it and find salvation in Jesus today. And friends, if you do know Jesus... The gospel is good news for you today, too. We can hear the gospel and be encouraged and empowered. Jesus has something to say to you right here, right now. We never graduate from the gospel. It is the first. It is the primary. It is the center of our core values. And, oh, friends, we never want to drift far from it. Amen? Would you guys pray with me? Great and awesome God. And I thank you for the grace that you have given us. Uh, To get to celebrate four years as a church uh, is incredible. Uh, You have done more than we could ask or imagine. I even think of the last three weeks, uh, like 17 people getting baptized and just proclaiming that the gospel truth has taken root in their hearts and they are part of the story that you are writing. This is incredible. Man, I'm grateful that we can both know your truth and our story can get intertwined in that. You've got a place for us. And so, God, for the people here today that have never known Jesus as their Savior, they've just never known what that means, what that's like. Maybe they've longed for something more, something to live for. Maybe they've hoped for the kind of world that you created in the beginning and you promised in paradise, restored, and yet they just can't find it today. And if that's you, you can turn to Jesus and find him today. The gospel is good news for you. Simply pray. God, I'm a sinner. I know that. I'm broken somewhere inside. I need a savior, a healer, someone who will redeem me. Jesus, that's you. I want to follow you. Man, if you can say a prayer like that, Jesus welcomes you in. 
The gate is wide open. You can be part of that family, that flock, that body of Christ now and for an eternity. God, I thank you that the gospel is the ABCs, and I thank you that it is also the A to Z. I just know even this week I needed to hear that. It sometimes feels like the gospel is what started us, and we got excited, and then life just gets kind of hard, and all the trials and struggles, temptations, a sin that we face just kind of can crowd out the good news of the gospel. So God, if there's any believer here today that feels like they've drifted, that just need to hear that the gospel is good news for them again, oh, would you hear it today? God, would you impress it upon our hearts that we never graduate? Your good news is as good yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and forever. It's never changing. And so, friend, hear that Jesus took your sin, he paid the price, he sent his Holy Spirit to live in you, and he promised that you will get to be in paradise with him forever if you call upon his name. Jesus, in light of all that you have done, we ask that you would continue to center us on your gospel. Never let us drift, never let us stray. Would you be our center today and all our days? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.